0: Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast, brought to you in partnership with Boris FX and our sponsor, Jump Desktop. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a working film and TV editor. For the last nine years, I've done over 400 interviews with the world's best editors. I've been using Boris FX products for almost 30 years, and I'm proud to partner with them to bring you some great filmmaking content. Today, on Art of the Cut, editor Stephanie Filo, A.C.E., Stephanie just hit the Emmy trifecta she was nominated for three Emmys for three different series she was nominated for outstanding editing in a variety program for a black lady sketch show along with editors Melinda Guerra and Taylor Mason also in the variety programming category she's nominated for history of the world part two with her co editors Angel Bryant Daniel Flesher and George Mandel and finally, for Outstanding Editing in a Limited Series, she's nominated for Dahmer, Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story. Stephanie Philo is originally from Sierra Leone, West Africa. She has two Emmy wins and an Ace Eddie win for A Black Lady Sketch Show, and was a Peabody Award winner for her work on the documentary Surviving R. Kelly, and an Emmy winner for her work on the documentary Separated. She was also nominated for an Emmy for her work on the documentary Aging Out. She also recently edited the feature film We Grown Now, which is soon to be released. She also once starred as the only co host of Art of the Cup for the episode on the thriller Barbarian. Barring all the editing wins and nominations, probably her proudest moment, I'm sure. Before I hop into our discussion with Steph, a brief thank you to our sponsors. Jump Desktop is a high-performance and secure app that lets you virtually connect to your editing bay as if you were physically there. Keep all your assets in one place and connect to your powerful editing bays from anywhere. Jump Desktop's high-performance remote desktop protocol lets you edit from any low-powered laptop. With end-to-end encryption, native support from macOS and Windows, and multi-monitor support, you can be productive from anywhere. Jump Desktop also has collaborative screen sharing for collaboration with your team. See what thousands of editors have been using to get their work done from across the world. Visit jumpdesktop.com cut to begin your free, no-limits, 14-day trial today. And to our partner, Boris FX. I've been using Boris FX and Sapphire for almost 30 years, so they're not just a sponsor to me. I feel they've been a partner in my cutting room for decades helping me to deliver on the creative vision of my clients, directors, and producers. For all of us, our work is about bringing a creative idea to the screen, and for me, Boris FX is one of the important tools that I use to do that. To see how they can help you on your latest project, head on over to borisfx.com and check out the Boris FX Suite, which includes Sapphire, Continuum, Mocha Pro, Silhouette, and Optics, all in a low-cost monthly or annual subscription. If you want to read this interview with great visual support, you can go to borisfx.com AOTC. That site also has other great filmmaking content, so keep that bookmarked. And now, Stephanie Filo, ACE, on editing three different Emmy-nominated shows in a single year. Uh, Steph, how does it feel to be the queen of the Emmys? <laughs> I
1: still haven't fully processed it. If I'm being honest with you, I keep getting hit with just this like immense gratitude because I have such an awesome like community and support system that's propped me up over the years, including yourself, Steve. Um, so has just kind of like propped me up and supported me over the years and taught me stuff and like talked me off the ledge many times. And so it's, this is really like a reflection of, of that support system. So I'm just really grateful for that and. And for all
0: of all of them, all of you, <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say to everybody that has supported you over the years, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, everybody, the whole whole editing community. I just we all lean on each other and like support each other. And it's just a cool thing. And something that's special, too, I think, about this Emmys or these um, these nominations, too, is like so many teams that are super supportive Um are visibly supportive of each other. I know, like Tim Timothy Good and and uh, Emily Mendez. We have Kelly Dixon and Josh Earle, um, the RuPaul's Drag Race team. I know there's Paul Paul Cross and Jamie Martin, husband and wife team. Like just a whole whole bunch of different editors supporting each other for these nominations. So. That's really
0: cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about the editing process. I wanted to start with Dahmer because I thought that had some really interesting stuff in the episode that you're up for. Just right off the bat, there's the first scene of that episode is the forensic team in the backyard. Do I have that right? And the sound design is amazing. Can you talk about what you do personally as sound design, what you assign to an assistant and what that sound design gets you?
1: Well, sound design for this whole episode was really huge for me and my assistant editor. So what we kind of did was basically cut like an assembly of a scene, pass it to her, and she would do a sound pass on it without me, without kind of giving any guidance, just saying like, here, can you do what you think is the best pass of this? And then she would hand it back to me and I would give notes. There's a scene later in the episode where Jeff gets drugged. It's actually, I think, maybe the only scene in the series where in his perspective, but he basically accidentally drugs himself in a hotel room. And so you get immersed in this distorted audio throughout that scene. And I just really wanted to feel like we were feeling what he was. (laughs) I wanted it to seem that way so what we did was my assistant editor Lyric basically did so much fully in her own bathroom crushing her vitamins um, doing all of this stuff just to try to get it to sound as like authentic as possible we kind of did like an accordion style with the audio layers. If you listen carefully you'll hear the normal dialogue track then you'll hear like another out of sync track as well that kind of like is slowed down then another one that's again off. Thing that's like slowed down or like has like a kind of deverb effect on it. So we had, I think, maybe like 50 audio tracks in that scene alone. You know, we use RX isotope filters to try to like kind of distort things and see if we could get that feeling down. And then immediately at the end of that scene, you're cut out of it into reality again. We definitely had a lot of back and forth as far as sound goes. And I'm also really obsessive about sound in general. So we approached it knowing we needed to really focus, especially on this episode, on on sound elements.
0: Oh, I want to give Lyric her due. What's Lyric's full name? Lyric Ramsey. <laughs> Lyric Ramsey. All right. Great work, Lyric. One thing that struck me is you said you wanted to really feel how Dahmer was feeling and you used audio to do that and so often people are saying that the key to feeling it is the audio.
1: I think it's often like overlooked or maybe people think about doing it later but I feel like it's so much easier to also sell a cut if you're in a room in a screening with anybody if you're like this is what I think the way the episode should feel. I think Lyric and I are both obsessive about that in particular and this this series was so much about about being just hyper real. A lot of the scenes just play in wide for like a majority of the time. And that was so that you could really kind of objectively take whatever you could from the frame without feeling like we're trying to sensationalize the story or without feeling like we're kind of telegraphing what you're supposed to be feeling. We really wanted it to be kind of like... (laughs) You know, a situation where you could look at a scene and just gather what you need to gather from it. When you don't always have a ton of cuts within a scene, you know, sound was definitely integral to that as well.
0: I just came across a quote from a previous interview where somebody said that if you don't have good audio, sometimes you get notes about things that aren't, <laughs> that you wouldn't get notes about if the audio wasn't right. You'll get picture notes about problems, mm-hmm. even though they're really audio things.
1: Yeah, I always get like extra anxiety, I think before a screening, if I'm like, I don't think I've done enough yet with the audio. So I think that's
0: very true. The interview room where they start talking to Dahmer, it starts with an oblique shot of his cigarette and you really don't see him for a while. You kind of hide him. Uh, what was the purpose of that? And I, mean, I loved it, but why?
1: Originally, I cut out of the crime scene just straight onto his face. And it felt like we really needed to just sit with him a moment longer. Um, So it was kind of just trying to explore ways that we could, could have that extra moment. That shot is actually from a different episode. It's dailies from a totally different episode, just repurposed and cheated to look like it's part of that scene but it was kind of just like exploring how we could extend that moment a little bit because you're coming out of a gruesome forensic crime scene into this interrogation. So it just needed that extra beat where you could feel the pause and also maybe just live with that character just slightly so you can be like, okay, we're here. We're starting the
0: story. Yeah, I love that. The transitions. so often you need, right, it's that you jump into something and it's too fast. I'm amazed that you were able to find that shot Is it just a memory thing, do you think?
1: In this series, we did a lot of jumping around in time. So I think we were all kind of like hyper aware of each other's scenes a little bit because like one minute the scene might exist in like episode three, the next minute it exists in four. Um, If you watch like actually the end of episode three is the same scene that Kind of starts episode four from a different time period, so it's because we had to be kind of extra aware of what the timeline looked like and how we were shifting it around in the edit. It was definitely like a find that I was happy about, but <laughs> but it was it's I think good that we we knew what was what existed throughout.
0: You used a pre lap to get to the psychiatrist's office. Uh, I also spotted at least one post lap. What are the values of those post laps and pre laps?
1: Those were especially helpful in this show because of the time jumps. I'm trying to remember from cutting that scene, I know that that scene was about three or four times longer than it ended up being in the actual episode, but we wanted to connect what the detectives were asking him about to what the next scene was without it being super jarring. So a lot of times in in our time lapse, just to make sure that the thoughts connected, we did a lot of pre-lapping and post-lapping
0: for sure. In that psychiatrist office, there's also a real interesting flash to some organ viscera (laughs) i don't know how to how else to put it (laughs) that's just an interesting thing and it also felt like the style of the show to me
1: yeah it was really like a an attempt i think to get it get more in jeffrey's mind a little bit because like i said before the other that scene that happens later in the episode is like the only other time we're kind of in his own headspace so I think just those little flashes help with tying together what was happening. And also the therapist is speaking in very therapist speak. And so it was just good to have something visual that you could connect that with because he's saying some pretty upsetting things. So was, if you're not fully, <laughs> fully immersed, you can't grasp what's happening.
0: Did you find that um, the order of things and when you intercut things are different than scripted and why?
1: I mean, there was always time jumps, but I think we kind of messed with those more in the edit as well to make it make more sense or to kind of highlight moments in Jeff's life. Um, In this episode, there's one sequence where he basically like his dad sends him to college. He fails out of college. Then he's in the army and then he fails out of the army. There's one scene where he comes home for Christmas dinner with his family. And it used to play as just kind of like a traditional Christmas dinner, you know, of him just hanging out with his family awkwardly. And there's also scenes of him in the army learning all these messed up things about Halcyon and, and how to drug people. I sat and tried to think through like how I could connect those two things to maybe make the time jump a little quicker as well and kind of connect what was happening in the Christmas dinner scene because you hear his dad kind of talk about things and Jeff kind of talks about things. He's saying he's like a medic, <laughs> a medic in the army. And then you cut into him learning about how to drug people. So it's it was kind of just a looking at the scenes as they played. Naturally, just felt like it needed something to connect. It's some sort of connective tissue. Um, So we definitely played around with that a lot. I'm happy with where it kind of landed.
0: You mentioned how important sound design is and music would be another part of that. There's a bunch of scenes that play. I won't say they play dry because there's probably sound design under them, but there's no music. What Mm -hmm. made you feel this shot, this scene needs a little music cue and this scene really should play dry?
1: I think that it kind of just depended on what the content was in the scene. A lot of the scenes where it's you're sitting in this kind of wide moment, it's like we kind of just as a team felt like, oh, you should really just feel this as it played out naturally, as opposed to trying to, again, like telegraph what people should be feeling at any given time. Yeah, the music, I think, only kind of came in to punctuate moments. The wides in particular, I think, are mostly without music for the most part. We learned at one point during the edit that like Jeffrey used to listen to whale sounds in prison. And so if you listen really carefully, there's different whale sounds that punctuate the score. So we kind of built that into our temp score. If he says anything, I think in, in this episode that we were talking about, episode four, he says something in the detective interrogation. Like I was just trying to be a good boy or something. We punctuated it with like a whale sound that leads us into the next scene. So that almost also existed as like a sound design punctuation in the edit, which was interesting.
0: One of the places I remember hearing music is I think when he finds the father's box of mementos in the closet, there's a little music cue there. But then other places you like the diner scene with his dad where he almost admits what's going on with him. I don't think there's music there, right? You let the emotion of that performance carry. I don't don't remember.
1: Yeah, I think it's like natural. It's just whatever's playing at the diner. There's kind of like background music. And I think at the very end, I kind of went into, like, score at that point because it's kind of like he's trying to confess his fantasies, essentially, and the dad doesn't want to hear it. That scene also in particular was one where I was just worried about Jeff coming across too sympathetically. That's another thing that I think we all were really, really conscious of as we were editing it. So I wanted to make sure it played as if, like, this is just them at a diner. And, you know, you hear hear diner music in the background. You don't hear too much score except where it's like absolutely necessary.
0: So he gets drunk at a state fair and uh, ends up getting arrested. But that's a crazy montage.
1: Yeah. The Ferris wheel into being drunk and and uh, (laughs) looking at all of the figurines. That one was interesting because Evan Peters is just such a phenomenal actor that it was almost, it was kind of like terrifying editing it because it, you know, he, it just felt like, I'm like, should I be seeing this? Like Jeffrey's like at the state fair and like getting arrested. Like it just felt like I was looking at actual Jeffrey Dahmer at the state fair. So it was an interesting one to put together. But I, it, again, in trying to tie his perspective into this episode, you know, we have this kind of fun ability to kind of play with. the the whale lots of whale calls within the state fair scene if you watch it but also um you know there's there's a lot of kind of creepy things at a state fair when you think about about it and our director uh jennifer lynch shot a lot of interesting b-roll to kind of like emphasize the fact that jeff was um not sober in this scene um and i think it kind of if I recall, it goes from him talking to his grandma just straight into this montage moment. So it was kind of a matter of playing with like the ebb and flow of it. And I think I took it really far with, with that montage. And I was like, I don't think people are going to like this, but I'm just going to make an attempt. And then people seem to gravitate towards it because we ended up adding more of these unique, interesting shots in that montage. And also that State Fair kind of leads us to the beginning of our time jumps as well in that episode
0: what effect did it have on you like you kind of mentioned a couple of times like i shouldn't be seeing this this is really disturbing images this is disturbing information you know from the psychiatrist how did you protect yourself as a person from that
1: It was a challenge because I think whenever I do any project, I try to like immerse myself as much as possible, which I think for a project like this is, you know, it has unfortunately like not great effects (laughs) at times. And so something that I would do was, you know, Lyric and I, my assistant editor and I would check in, you know, frequently throughout the day, like in the morning, in the evening, like, how are you, (laughs) how are you doing? How are you feeling? We also both kind of watched all of these different Dahmer documentaries we were reading Dahmer books like listening to music that was within the tone just to be in that headspace so you know it was a lot of check-ins not just with Lyric but with the whole like editing team I feel like we kind of had different conversations about that and it was a journey to say the least working on this but I think you know as editors something that I don't think is talked about enough is like self-care and like how important it is to be able to distance yourself from what you're working on when you turn your computer off uh, at the end of the day. And this show was definitely a reminder of that for me, where, you know, you just need to find a way to separate yourself a little bit, especially if you're, you know, 12 plus hours a day looking at material like this, especially when you're like passionate about telling this story as well. You just have to kind of find outlets or think about things that make you happy, (laughs) that, that are not quite as bleak, um, as often as you can or listen to music or go for walks or um
0: hang out with your dog
1: exactly hang out with your dog it's just like a reminder of that for sure
0: let's talk about a black lady sketch show to just whiplash uh <laughs> thought process um
1: totally similar show <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally similar uh that's what's so funny that you are nominated for all these different shows you know a history of the world could be you know, thought of as somewhat similar to Black Lady Sketch Show, but even those are pretty radically different. The pacing on Black Lady Sketch Show, especially like the courtroom sketch I was thinking about, is so fast. Like, talk to me about the process of that. Can you talk about like what kind of notes you're getting? Oh, this needs to be tighter. We need to pace this up and uh, just building something like that courtroom scene.
1: Robin Thiebe has really developed kind of a voice of what the show is. And so everything is about just maintaining that voice. And this, the voice of the Black Lady Sketch Show is loud and fast and just like quick joke upon joke upon joke. I think because this was my third season working on it, I have kind of figured out <laughs> figured out how just how fast it needs to be. But it's, you know, it's by design because if you watch any of the sketches over, like if you watch them on repeat, you'll find new jokes jokes that you didn't catch the first time because of how fast it is and that's intentional so it's always an interesting exercise in just like making sure that the pace is like as fast as possible there's one sketch that's kind of recurring and it almost pokes fun at that exact notion in season two there was gel it like it is and then in this season there was hotel it like it is where you have these two women who are talking at just like insane speeds and by the end it's like you're almost in a wind tunnel listening to these women talk and like missing half of the things they're saying and just like oh i need to go Back and watch this again. So it's just a fun show to cut in that sense because you're like, I'm going to throw in something that I think is going to make Robin laugh, or I'm going to throw in something that I think is going to make one of the other editors laugh. You like pepper in these moments. And something we did a lot this season, you'll hear obviously our fast speed, but you'll hear sometimes conversation, like improvised conversations happening. In the background, like, there's a few sketches where, like, if you really listen, you can hear a whole other, like, scene playing out that's hilarious on the side. So that that was, like, something that we really tried to incorporate this season as well. The courtroom Kiki sketch is, like, I think the, almost the blueprint for, for that style, for sure. Because each time, you know, the first time you saw it, it's in season one, it's super fast. In season two, it's super fast. So this one was kind of the culmination of of all of those.
0: Uh the Knights of the Round Table sketch, I'm not sure if that's what you guys called it, but that's what I was calling it.
1: Gladys and the Knights of the Round
0: Table. <laughs> <and> the <laughs> of course. Of course that's the title. Um had me thinking about multicam and how <laughs> the show is shot or at least how that scene was shot and um how do you deal with multicam in the edit?
1: I think most of our sketches are two cameras. Sometimes there's three, like courtroom Kiki is three. Usually Um, there's so much improv that happens on our show. I don't know if we could cut it (laughs) as well if we didn't have those sort of extra angles to just make sure the continuity works as well. Because a lot of times, you know, they'll shoot one or two takes that are as scripted and then they'll go off book for the rest of the takes. So you're kind of just like scrambling to make sure that everything is cohesive. So I think working with multiple angles is crucial (laughs) on this show in particular.
0: Do you use the multicam features of the Avid and when you're in your bin, are you looking at the individual angles or are you just looking at a group clip?
1: Usually I'll pull up the whole group. So I'm looking at like all three angles at once as I'm watching, but I'll usually watch through a couple times just to make sure I don't miss anything. And then once I'm like in the edit, Sometimes I'll I'll have like just the multicam feature or the quad split or whatever um, activated so that I can watch the scene. I can also be like, okay, I also have this angle and this angle of this shot just as like a way to kind of refer back quickly.
0: So I would think that's the way you watch dailies too, right? You don't bother trying to watch all four angles individually of a single take.
1: Sometimes I will, but I think usually because on this show we have really like two to three days maybe to get our editor's cut ready for our director and for Robin and the way Robin likes our editor's cuts to be they're as close to arable as possible. So it's like, you don't always have a ton of time to watch through every angle at like one at a time. So usually what I'll do is I'll watch all, th- you know, all three, all two angles at once. And then I'll save my selects kind of in a bin and label the ones that I think like oh this one made me laugh the most this one (laughs) this one is like funny but I could probably do without it and I'll just kind of highlight each of those and sometimes mark like what the angles are in my little notes (laughs) on the side
0: and then ad libs as you pointed out is a whole nother level Mm. of difficulty to the editing how do you deal with the amount of ad libs especially when you're trying to put a scene together for Robin because it could be 15 minutes long, you know, with all the possibilities.
1: (laughs) Something that I love that Robin says is like, just present to me the thing that's the funniest to you. doesn't matter what it is. It just has to be the thing that makes you laugh the most. And then we'll build from there, which is, I think, tremendous as an editor, because she gives you kind of that leeway and really kind of champions you to make something as funny as possible. So it is tough because A, you're trying to make something that's as airable as possible, but B, something that's as funny as possible. So you do end up with kind of these longer sketches, I feel like, on your first pass. And then like what I'll do before I hand in my editor's cut is sometimes I'll pull out these extra moments that I peppered in just to try to get it to like a time that works. And then I'll have like a bin of faults (laughs) that I can kind of kind of present as well.
0: How do you present those alt as a string out or do you go oh here's here's one funny joke here's another funny joke
1: It kind of depends on the sketch Well Robin also remembers every take she can honestly like be like oh I I remember we had an improv moment where I said this and it was at around like this point in the day and this take and she doesn't know and you go to it and you're like oh yeah that's exactly correct (laughs) uh so it's it's kind of nice that she has that such an amazing memory with that but you know what i'll do sometimes is if she's like this this beat isn't hitting the way i want it to i can be like i have three other improv moments that are kind of the same if you wanted to see them um but also we have you know at the very end of every episode there's um outtakes which are really just improv moments that didn't make it into the show what happens when we assemble episodes is we'll send like a string out of all of the outtakes from a sketch, like all of the extra unused improv moments. And sometimes... She'll watch that and be like, oh, wait, why aren't we using this? Like, let's put this into this sketch. So I think at the end of the day, you know, she's able to see everything. But, you know, sometimes there's there's specific alts that you're like, "Okay, I'll show you these.
0: (laughs) With a lot of what we do, right, you've got a team around you. But I really think because I've met so many of uh, your colleagues on a Black Lady Sketch Show, um, kind of the camaraderie of that. Talk to me a little bit about just how fun it is or useful it is or what the interactions are with the other people on the team.
1: We're all just such a close knit team. These are all like my friends that I hang out with <laughs> outside of work as well. We, we have a group chat going always. They're just people that like I adore so much. And I think we all know each other well enough that it's like, okay, Taylor is putting something in here that like she knows I'm going to laugh at, or like Melinda's putting something in here that she knows I'm going <laughs> to laugh at and, and vice versa. We had at one point early in any season, we're like, let's do like a Friday, like zoom happy hour where we can like show our sketches for the week which is really fun because you can kind of look at those and like just laugh together, but also give feedback and stuff. But as the season gets more more busy, um, sometimes we we kind of taper down <laughs> the amount of Zoom happy hours. Yeah, it's a very like close-knit team. And, you know, I feel like we're always interacting and like asking each other questions and sharing images of our pets. And it's just a really special, special group.
0: I think it's funny that you feel like you can tell that somebody like Taylor put a, a joke in just for you.
1: We've all known each other for for so long at this point. Brayden, uh, last season, is another one that I'm like, I know exactly what's gonna make Brayden laugh, so I'm gonna put this <laughs> this joke in here. Or like you try to try to kind of like pepper in something that, that for everybody.
0: I have this note, and I honestly cannot remember what it means, but I'm hoping you will. Fashionista space jump cuts. What's the value of a jump cut? Like, do you use them? Are they funny in, 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 a, in comedy? Are they more useful in a drama?
1: Probably a little bit of both. I think they have a proper place in, in each genre. I think they can be hilarious in comedy because I think any kind of hard cuts, your goal is to kind of take someone by surprise, right? The element of surprise. Like, I do that a lot with music. Music edits in comedy where it's like, oh, this is happening, this is happening, and then boom, you're out of it. And then visually, yeah, like the montage and spacing out, I think it's just fun to show like the amount of time that's passed that Gabrielle is having her freak out. It just implies that she's (laughs) she's spent like 20 minutes freaking out about this thing.
0: Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the history of the world and just in general comedy and pacing timing. And like you said, you've been on Black Lady Sketch Show so long, you know what Robin wants, you know, hey, I got to really pace this up. Now you're working on History of the World and you've got a different team and a different style and different dailies. So how does that affect the pace at which you cut?
1: There's like the the sketch show way of cutting comedy. And then there's like the, the not sketch show way of cutting comedy. And I think I think I kind of deferred to kind of somewhere in the middle because I feel, you know, History of the World, even though it has a lot of these sort of like tentpole storylines they're also broken up but when we originally cut them they were all kind of as one long piece so
0: oh that's interesting
1: yeah it's like i i think first you know something like the russian revolution for example when i was cutting those sections like i kind of deferred to like what a normal comedy pacing would feel like but I did pull air out in in some places just to try to like make, make punchlines hit harder. But it is like a very different style of comedy than Black Lady Sketch Show, which, you know, is is fun to kind of bounce around between between both. But it did take us, you know, kind of a while because there's you know a team of four of us trying to figure out what the kind of tone of tone of the show was and so many different styles of comedy as well like our our eps there were so many different kind of comedic sensibilities as well as so much talent on screen as well that was all from different realms of comedy so it was fun just trying to find what that voice
0: was could you have caught some of those sketches as if they were going to appear in Black Lady Sketch Show, or was it just not possible because of the way, you know, you always hear, you have to let the footage speak to you.
1: There's some that I think, like the the Freud segment, I cut that as if I had was cutting a, ske- a Black Lady Sketch Show sketch, just because it felt like it warranted like a fast pace initially when I looked at the footage, and Taika is just so funny and has so many just like silly improv moments that I was like, I want to really try to find a way to make this again, you know, loud, loud and fast. That is one sketch that I definitely approached in the same way. And also when you have it, you know, at such a fast pace, you can fill more things in there. (laughs) So he had so many funny moments. And I think the original version of it was so was super long just because, you know, I wanted people to be able to see his see his improv beats to see what they wanted
0: out of the whole thing. That was my favorite. (laughs) Little sketch. Uh, I just love that parody. And it's funny that you talk about Taika because other editors that I've talked to who have cut Taika's performances have said the same thing about the amount, the pure amount of gold that's in there to dig out.
1: I think just as a person, he's, he's, I assume, hilarious as well, because it's like you just, even between takes, there's like beats that I think I put in the original, you know, cut of that sketch and, you know, just tried to kind of highlight his quirkiness because he's just, he's just a fun and quirky kind of guy. The section that's kind of in black and white where he's drawing all the pictures is, was just so over the top and there, it used to be, you know, we used to go back and forth a few times in there just so you could keep seeing his, uh, his drawings but I think it I'm trying to think of how it landed but I think it's ultimately like one iteration or a montage at the end that has has a little bit more of
0: it. It's interesting to me, especially with comedy, the idea that there's all these great funny moments, but you can't have them all.
1: We had the challenge of like, there's too much that's funny <laughs> on this show, right? Like there's just, every take has something hilarious in it. And, you know, there's definitely stuff on the cutting room floor that I wish people could see for this one and for Black Lives Sketch Show. There's so much just gold that doesn't get seen, but it all ends up being what, <laughs> what feels the best in that episode.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of excising something that's funny. I've had scenes like this in my own uh, work where you're like, this is a great scene and it ends up on the cutting room floor. Can you give some examples of why something, either a scene or a shot or a line that is great ends up getting caught.
1: it's ultimately about servicing the story right like it ultimately has to go from point a to point b like it was written one specific way and ideally the tone and intention of that scripted version of the scene is what would what would carry through to the final piece so it's like you pepper in improv moments but sometimes it's like a moment that's so funny but it doesn't quite like match the tone of everything else. So I think that's kind of when you usually see jokes like that, that get left on the cutting room floor.
0: You and I met uh, when we were both in New York city last year and you're back in LA. Are you an LA girl? You're, you're not into New York. Uh, You're happy to be in New York.
1: I was in New York (laughs) cutting a feature, which I'm very proud of and which will premiere this fall. So I'll keep you updated. Steve, you were also in New York cutting a series as well. So we met up and I could walk at the time, but like a week after we hung out in New York.
0: Now you need even more backstory because you could walk at the time. What does that mean?
1: (laughs) A week after we hung out in New York, I fell down some stairs and broke my ankle and like tore the ligaments in my feet. And so I was basically like in crutches and a cane for the remainder of my time in New York.
0: Including the Emmy Awards, right? Or the Aces. <laughs>
1: Including the Emmy Awards. So I had a sparkly cane for the the Emmys. I was hoping I could be off of it by then, but I no such luck. But um
0: It was very fashionable. So <laughs>
1: I tried. Um but yeah, so New York I like New York, but I would visit New York again now that I don't have crutches and a cane. So it was, you know, I didn't get a chance to fully fully enjoy the time there because I was hobbling around most of most of it or inside of an edit bay the rest of it (laughs) but I'm glad that I'm glad that I saw you before that happened (laughs) because otherwise it would have just been a sad (laughs) sad uh, experience for you
0: and who we met with uh, your boyfriend and somebody else that you'd edited with
1: Chris Rand an amazing editor we worked on for life together he cut the uh, the crowded room that just came out. I think that's what he was working on at the
0: time. I love the fact that there's an editing community, and you feel like, oh, I, I want to hang out with these people. Mm-hmm.
1: It's something that I just love about <laughs> about editors in general. I feel like we all kind of know each other, even if, like, you know, if there's an editor that I haven't met, but maybe I've seen on editor Twitter or you know on Instagram or something, then I meet them in person, and it's like we've known each other for years. I love the editing community. And, you know, maybe we're biased, Steve, but I think we're we're the coolest of the communities.
0: <laughs> what makes you want to work with an assistant? Like the, it, Lyric is relatively new to you. I don't know. But when you hired her, what made you think she's going to be perfect?
1: I like an assistant editor who's um, almost like thinks ahead of me, right? So sometimes it's like you have a script and there's needle drops within that script. Like, you know, she thought in advance to like grab those needle drops and have them like ready in the project for me. It's just like somebody who's proactive, somebody who wants to, to edit as well. Cause it's such a, like I love collaborating with, with my AEs and just trying to make sure they get a chance to also cut things as well. And just like personality wise, like someone that I, you know, someone I can get along with and, you know, you're spending so many hours a day with somebody that it's always great to work with great people, but also people who, you know, are passionate about, about what we do as well. So I think that's, you know, kind of what I look for is, is somebody who wants to move up, but also loves like just being ahead of the curve on, on things
0: i saw a great photograph of you recently that said my rates just went up uh do you (laughs) did uh, tell me about your uh agent that's what that makes me think about you know um what's the value of an agent and do they really get you work or are you getting most of the work through word of mouth or people going i want to work with staff
1: um i think kind of a a combination you know ideally they will get your name in front of people and you know hustle for you um which mine do and i'm grateful for that we're all kind of hustling together you just have to make sure
0: you know it's a team effort um what's the value beyond getting you work
1: i am somebody who Woodwork for Cheez Its. I think that's like my weakness is just like getting, I'm excited always about every project because it's just like I'm honored that there's anything that exists. And I think, you know, having. An agent is good because it's somebody who can help steer you in whatever direction is maybe the most helpful at the time, you know, and it's somebody you can kind of talk to and just get on the same page with. They might have more insight also into projects that you don't have because they also work with, you know, other behind the scenes talent as well. So it's like they might already have have all of the input about any any project ahead of time or any insight into the production company or people, creatives behind it. So I think the value is just having that, like, again, like we've been talking about, like a support system that can kind of help guide you and steer you in that way as well.
0: They also know the rate. They are fighting for your rate. They don't make you look like the bad guy.
1: Yeah, it's definitely helpful to have somebody who can kind of
0: push to make
1: sure that you're getting paid what you're worth and what you should be getting naturally even if you didn't have an agent but it's like when you don't have one projects do try to kind of take advantage so it's helpful to have someone that can kind of be like your advocate
0: i could sit and chat all day but i want to let you get on with your day thanks for chatting (laughs) good luck and congratulations on your nominations thank you so much That's it for Art of the Cut this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you'd prefer to read this interview with visual support and clips and trailers, head on over to borisfx.com AOTC, where there's a ton of great expert content for filmmakers of all types. Also, check out my book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven curated look at the craft of editing. Thanks to Stephanie Filo, ACE, for joining us on Art of the Cut. And thanks to our partner, Boris Effects and to our sponsor, Jump Desktop. Be sure to check them out at borisfx.com and jumpdesktop.com slash cut. I'm Steve Hulfish. Thanks for listening. And please tell all the editors and filmmakers that you know that to get more great Art of the Cut interviews every week, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app.